Hi, I'm Claire Riley and welcome to MS Understood. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in April 2017. At the time, all I wanted to do was get on with my life, put my head in the sand and privately listen to real people's stories about living with this unpredictable disease. I was deep in denial, terrified about the unknown ahead, and I felt really alone. So here it is, the second season of MS Understood. Conversations with experts on multiple sclerosis, people either living with this incurable disease or professionals who can support those of us living with MS. If you want to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at Claire.Riley. And before we get started, I would like to acknowledge that this episode of MS Understood was recorded across multiple lands. I recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is unceded Aboriginal land and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging two sides to this that if this doesn't work because what the hematologist said to me was that you could get ms again it's that thing where no one knows where it came from so just because you've done hsct does not mean that you're free from it forever it could because we don't know what it was When we recorded this interview, Rena was in hospital in the process of receiving HSCT treatment for multiple sclerosis. After being diagnosed at 17, Rena was told for years that her MS was mild, even while having yearly relapses and not to worry about taking medication to stop the progression of her disease. During this episode, Rena talks through the process of getting approved for HSCT in England, and Rena talks about what it's like to be going through the HSCT process. And we talk, we both talk about how bloody hard it is to live with multiple sclerosis. And I think it's important, you know, we talk a lot in these episodes about how there has been good to come from it, but we need to remember that it is also really hard. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at Claire.Riley. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Rena. I want to say thank you so much for joining us on the MS Understood podcast today. How are you? Hi, um, I'm really happy to, to be here to actually have some kind of arrangement to do because I've been in the hospital now for what's coming up to be a week. So mm. it's a really strange position to be in. Um, so I'm really grateful. This is kind of reality doing yeah. something like this because I would have done this at home. Um, mm. But being here, I'm just in a room on my own quite a lot of the time. So yeah, it's good. Mm. Yeah, and obviously I can see you and people listening to the podcast can't see you, but you are in hospital. You're attached to Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm so in the hospital. Yeah. And There's not a lot to see. about that, um, maybe a little bit, not too, in, in a little while, but I always love to start every podcast episode with a diagnosis story. So can yes. you share yours with us? Yeah. So funny enough, I was diagnosed in 2009. A really long time ago, I was about 17 years old um, and I had no idea about MS. I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't do any research. Um, so it was just completely another realm for me. Um, and when I was actually diagnosed, it was because of my eyes. I had double vision. Um, so I was first sent to Moorfield. No, I was sent to the opticians first. And the optician said, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. And then, uh, then I was sent to Moorfields Eye Hospital, which is a hospital in London, which is a specialist for eyes. And they also was like, we, there's nothing that we can do for you. 
they had a load of students around to look at me and to figure out what was going on. And we were all just sitting there like me. I was with my mother at the time and it was just a bit like, don't know what's going on. I was referred to a neurologist, finally, thankfully. All of this didn't really take very long because I think with eyes, it's very, it's more serious. So when once I went to the neurologist, um, he gave me an MRI and then the MRI confirmed that it was multiple sclerosis. So you were diagnosed, like you said, in 2009 and you were 17. Yeah. So like, yeah. to me, that kind of blows my mind. I mean, we know that the most commonly diagnosed group are women, but between the ages of 20 and 40, being diagnosed at 17, like you, yeah. you haven't even started your life yet. At the time I had no idea. So it was nothing to me. Mm, mm. Um, I didn't know anything. So for me, it was just like, oh, it was like banging your head and you just go to the hospital and then you're out and then that's it. Because mm. I was symptom free for five years. Mm. There was nothing. My neurologist said to me at the time, it's such a mild case. We don't need to worry about it. There's nothing that we can do. If anything pops up in the future, we'll deal with it then. So if the doctor is telling me that there's nothing that we can do, there's nothing to worry about, I just took it for what he said and then went on my way. So you didn't even start medication or anything then? Absolutely nothing. Wow. Yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, like you said, eyes always get diagnosed quite quickly. I feel like, yeah. you know, when, when you, but when you're like, you can't see, I feel like your life's really impacted. But when you've got a <laughs> pinched nerve, which is like so many of us think, and to pinch yeah, nerve, no, they can you know, you're just like, oh, we'll, in every we'll other go way, to the physio and we'll do this and we'll do that. But yeah, but so you got diagnosed and then they didn't do anything. Nope, nothing at all. And I wore an eye patch for a while. And at the time I was going through A-levels. We have like a secondary school and then we go to college. So I was in college at 17. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And I was doing A-levels there. And I remember being in this exam with this eye patch and then people were looking at me like, oh, you didn't have an eye patch yesterday. Mm. And it was just really random. It was strange. And I know now how like serious it all really was. Mm. But I think then it wasn't really... It, my neurologist did not give me any of the information. I didn't know anything. At 17. So did things change? Like, how were you impacted over that time? As I said, from 17, five years later. So that's probably 78. 22? Yeah. About, all right. Yeah. So five years later, I had nothing. Absolutely yeah. nothing. That's when everything came on. So we're saying 22. That's when I had um, a relapse every year. Wow. So yeah, every single year I had a relapse. I can't remember the time of the year, but I had one because I had MRIs to back all of them. Um, so I've had a lot of MRIs. And every time I had a relapse and went for an MRI, he would say the same thing. Oh, it's it's still a really mild form. So we won't do anything. We won't put you on anything until it, you know, there's a reason to. Looking back on it, it just feels like how Wait, well, could... hey, hey, hang on. Hang on. You were having a relapse every year and your neurologist was still saying it's pretty mild, don't worry about it, yep. you don't need medication. It was a really mild form of MS. So he was like, there's just nothing to worry about. You can but live don't you through want this. It like, to stay mild? Like, isn't that the whole exactly. point of like, or oh, it's looking pretty mild, let's start your medication so it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> right. That's what I would have thought now. And that's what I would have pushed for now. But yeah. being 17 and not knowing anything about it, it was a situation where I just listened to what he said and just let it be. Also, all of these um, appointments that I went to, I went on my own. I never mm. went there with my mother or my anyone. I was just mm. there on my own listening to this man. So he was the person who I was listening to. 
Well, and it's so difficult because like you said, you're listening to a doctor and the doctor's telling you what to do, but it's your yep. body. So you've got some kind of exactly that's quite right. And, and you can't change like, you know, that was that's now like 15 years ago. You're like, well, yeah. if I did if I knew now, I'd do everything differently. But Exactly. And that's the way I, I see things. If I knew now, I would have done so many things differently. Mm. But I didn't have a clue. And only now where it's got so bad that I'm in hospital, mm. it's, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. We can't go back in time. Mm. But it was just dealt with really badly, I think. So we've mentioned a couple of times, obviously, you're in hospital. Can you talk to us yeah. about why that is? Yeah, so I'm in hospital for HSCT. Mm. So HSCT is a stem cell transplant. I have failed two previous disease-modifying therapies. Mm. Um so after getting started on them, I you have to actually do them for about six months to a year before they say, okay, this isn't working, or there's some active um, lesions or MRI activity, um, and that happened. And we've gone and through that twice have now. To have, you have to have relapsing remitting to do HSCT, is that right? Apparently so, yes. Yeah, so that's when it's like, like you said, it's the, the medications aren't necessarily working, you're getting yeah. more relapses or you're getting new um, activity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is but, this um, the same I mean, treatment been... that we saw in um, Selma Blair? Selma Blair. Selma yeah, Blair yeah okay. exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they have had um, reported things of um, secondary progressive and um, primary progressive having HSCT and it benefiting them. But I think where I, I am, I'm going through the NHS, the national health system, yeah. and they won't give it to anybody that's not relapse remitting. Mm. So before you decided to, to start this, you've been in hospital for mm -hmm. a week and you've just started the yeah. process. Yeah. What were your symptoms like? It's a long list and I don't know if I'll be able to name them all off the top of my head, but my mobility is really, really affected. Mm -hmm. So I can't um, stand or walk on my own. I need support. Mm -hmm. So I walk at the moment with a rollator if it's a short distance um, or a scooter if it's a long distance. Um, and then my balance, my coordination, I have a lot of pain, I have spasticity, I have spasms, um, I have tremors, it's tremoring right now. I still have double vision. Um, yeah, I had so many things have come and gone. I have heat sensitivity and cold sensitivity. Mm. Um, my cognitive, cognitive function is a little bit off. But yeah, as I said, there's, there's so many more. I'm sure there's all these little niggling things that you kind of push to the back of your mind when they're not active right now. Mm. But if you Google a list of symptoms that MS has, I've had most of those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I once, my, my speech just completely went. Yeah. How did you get, mm. firstly, how did you get approved for HSCT? So I got approved because it's just really hard for a lot of people because their neurologists don't back it. Mm. Um, HFCT is a thing that neurologists just, they don't have enough evidence of. Um, pe real people like us will say, this is what we should be doing. And the neurologist will say, well, where's the science? Because mm. that's all that they look at. So thankfully my neurologist said, well, I'm going to refer you to this hospital in London so that you can go and do this. Um, I had to then be approved by a board of like loads of different um, neurologists and hematologists. And then once I was approved for the board, then I could get started. But that process still took a really long time. Mm, okay. And so, like you said, you needed to have a certain, like you needed to have not had two 
medications yes. work? No, well, to be... I think they might have changed the um, criteria now, but when I was starting, this was in June that I was approved. Um, mm. It was, you need to have failed two. And just um, so people know, but, we're now the start of March, or early March. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A long time. Um, yeah. You needed to have failed two disease modifying therapies um, and have relapse remitting MS mm. and, or have active lesions. I just so so you're in hospital now. You've been in there for a week. What what is happening? What's the process? What are you, you're in hospital now? How long did it yeah. take? Obviously, you're approved in June. Mm-hmm. When did you find out you were going into hospital? Really soon after the the process, because I'm thirty at the moment. I just turned thirty in December, um, so I needed to go and freeze my eggs because. With HSCT, the process is that you go through chemotherapy to um, kind of batter your immune system, get rid of it so you can really start again. So um, I had to do that first because chemotherapy is known to make you infertile. So I did that first in June or July. And then in August, September, I started the first stage of HSCT. HSCT has two stages. Um, the first stage is lots of tests, making sure that you're healthy enough to do the procedure and function well. Um, you do your, your chemotherapy, you store your stem cells. That's called like conditioning. Um, and then the second stage is where I'm at now is being in hospital, mm. having higher doses. Are they putting the stem cells back in? Is that right? Yes. So yeah. at the moment, I'm only on day two. Um, you have chemo and mesna and ATG um, for about four days. And then you have a rest day and then you get your cells back mm. to start and a whole new immune system. Yeah. It's quite a long process of like being in the hospital in isolation. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It's, it, that's all it is. Mm. There's, there's no one. Like the nurses and doctors, they're wonderful, but they only come in and out every so often yeah. to check your your anything that you need to do or give you medication, and then they're gone again. Mm. Um, so you really are on your own. And how long will it be until you're starting to feel the effects of it? Mm-hmm. So what I was told when I first had my consultation in June was that it could be two to three years. So, so you go through this process, it's now taken six months, like December to March, you know, and then you go through this. So you'll be going through this process for probably maybe another month or so, Mm -hmm. like by the time you're kind of out of isolation at the other end and and start, and then it could take up. Yeah. Just for them to know for sure if it, if it anything's really taking effect wow. because what they say is that your immune system is building itself back up for mm. all this time um mm. and then by the time that you're actually being able to to have a, a proper functioning immune system you then need to then see are you going to have relapses or are you going to have symptoms or are you going to have any active anything on MRI so they need to test those things as well. They say that you're still kind of still recovering mm. through those years. Are you finding it difficult to, so I am terrible for expectations. I, I um, mm. as much as I hate it, like I'm always putting ex- expectations on the things that I'm doing. Yes. Are you finding it difficult to like expect that you're going to be better? You know, you're going to be able to walk. You're going to like, 
Do you have no. those expectations or do you are you just hoping something changes? I really do. I hope something changes, but no. My expectations are that I don't have MS anymore. That's my expectation. Because so, that's what so it's how supposed do, to what do. does that mean for you that you don't have MS anymore? My immune system will be like a normal functioning immune system. They mm. won't be attacking my myelin sheaths. So yeah. I'll be able to, you know, the damage that's already been done for the many years that I've had MS won't go away. Right. But, so I think that's the difference. That's the that's the yeah. thing to understand is the symptoms that you've got, they're not, yeah. not necessarily going to change. It's that you're hoping yes. to not get any worse. Any exactly the Which progression. Which is, I suppose, what we all hope when we start our medication. Because we all exactly from, from what I was told when I started my meds is that, you know, back when I was diagnosed, is that they're unlikely to change my symptoms. The, the mm-hmm. hope is that I'm not going to have any more attacks. And I haven't had any exactly. conditions since I was diagnosed, but my symptoms That's wonderful. have gotten worse. Yeah, yeah. But it's tricky and and like it's you know, so hard day, well it's hard because I'm like they said to me oh you know you haven't had any new lesions I'm like well why are my symptoms getting worse mm. so I'm like no, I, no more lesions. I'd love to know the science behind it all because that really does make no sense to me at all mm. but yeah that is the hope that is the hope that there will be no more like I won't need to visit the hospital constantly mm. and yeah. I won't need to be taking medication constantly because before this I was on Tysabri and that's every month going to the hospital so yes no more yeah (laughs) that is the hope I don't need to visit the hospital constantly I mean there are there are two sides to this that if this doesn't work because what the hematologist said to me was that you could get MS again it's that thing where no one knows where it came from so just because you've done HSCT does not mean that you're free from it forever it could because we don't know what it was Oh, wow. Gosh, I feel like that's yeah. such an incredible um, risk for you to go I know. in. It and, really and is. Yeah. Of course. But, I mean, you know MS, mm. and I'm sure your listeners know MS and how bad it can really be. Mm. And for me, I've really seen some really hard times with it, and mm. I know that I can't do continue life in the way that I was because mm. it wasn't much of a life. I was just existing. So I would rather try this and hope for the best than do nothing because nothing I, wasn't getting me anywhere. Yeah. I really want to talk to you about that. So I started this podcast and I, I don't mm. know if you've heard it, but I've started this podcast to be able to tell real stories, not just the, yeah. you know, not just the commonly advertised story. I wanted to be able to yeah. tell kind of positive spins on, on people's lives. I I feel like we've, we've done a lot of that, um, you know, this mm. I don't know, episode 70 something. And um, we've done a lot of that. And I think what I haven't talked a lot about, and, you know, maybe we've skimmed over it, but I, I think we don't give enough credit or I haven't given enough credit in this podcast is how fucking hard it can be. Yeah. Like it's yeah. really, really hard and it sucks. And sometimes there just isn't anything good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you were diagnosed young and like you said, it's been hard and you've best just been existing or, or like <laughs> being there. Can you talk to us about, the, I suppose, the mental burden? Oh, of- my gosh, it's a lot, yes. a lot. Because when I have not really lived through my 20s, mm. I just turned 30 and I didn't live through my 30s at all because I had MS and I couldn't walk and I couldn't do things and I was constantly being judged. Um I had to um, 
resort to a rollator to go to work. And they would, they were, I was under attack for being on a rollator at work. Like, you can't do your job correctly. They wanted to get me out. So mm. there's all these things that you have to, that you have challenges with. Um, I couldn't take the bus anymore to go to work. So I had to get like financing to get a cab to pick me up every day to go to work. Um, and I just didn't want to be there. Mm. It's just all of those things that make things so much more difficult for you when you're already living a, a life that is so difficult already that like, I just, just don't want any part of at all. I mean, I'm optimistic, but there's only so much optimism that you can have. You need mm. to be realistic as well. And I think I'm, I'm in between both of those two things. Like I'm not Debbie Downer, but the reality is this is shit. Mm. <laughs> That's the reality, you know? Uh, I'm not I will not sugarcoat it in any way because it's shit it just mm. is and I think I've not really heard many people that have a similar story to me I think my case is rare because people don't really decline in the, in the the same way that I have declined and with the same time period I've just not heard it maybe it's where I'm in the platforms that I'm looking at I've just never heard anyone with my story and that's definitely the thing is, you know, everyone's MS shows up so differently. And I just um, was connected with a woman who lives um, just in the town near where I am. And she says she's taking medication, but she she doesn't have any symptoms. So she's oh, like, it's weird okay. for her because she has this, like, in her mind, like, I've got MS, what's going to happen mm-hmm. next? But she presents as absolutely completely fine. Right. Um, so, you know, we've got to look at the scale and obviously there's a whole level of, of that. And, you know, for me, I, if I'm sitting here, I look totally fine. If I start to try and walk around, I look, you know, different and people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the weird walk or whatever. Yeah. They might think, oh, something might be wrong. Yeah. But that in itself is a huge burden and it's something that I think we don't mostly we just get on and live our lives because what else can we do? Yeah. But I think there's got to be a level of acknowledgement of just how hard it is to have to push through that to get on with your normal life. Yeah. And I'm not saying I I don't want to say for everyone that it's going to be this hard or that no, absolutely not focusing on that. But I think there needs to be an acknowledgement. Like you said, you have just for 10 years just been going through the motions, existing, getting mm-hmm. to work, getting home, blah, blah, blah. So I really hope for you that this HSCT stops Me too. any further depression because, oh, that's what you need. I know. I'm, I'm married. Um, I have my own house as well. It feels like you're punished for those things as well because, mm. because I'm married and because I have my house, I don't qualify for any of the, like, benefits that the UK has because of the income so it's it's really tricky that you 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 know you go through life and you think that there's these milestones that you need to achieve Mm. and then when you achieve them and then something like ms hits you you're like oh shit Mm. if i actually was just on my own and i didn't have this house and i still live with my mother i i would have probably been a bit better so you not get to see your partner for the whole time that you're in hospital no, because COVID restrictions have um, loosened a little bit, he can come. 
Right. So sorry, I was just curious about the like how much isolation you have to be because of your immune system. Yes, yes. And I think before, yes, then no one could come at all. It was just you and the room. Mm. But now they are allowing people to come in. Um, well, I can only have two people. So Mm. I've got my husband coming, I've got my mum coming at some point as well. But that's it. I love to ask, there's a few questions that I love to ask everyone. Um, do you think, and this will be, I actually feel like I'm going to be super interested in your answer to this, but do you Mm -hmm. feel like it's time to accept your diagnosis? And if so, what helped with that? No, I don't know. It's such a hard question, that one. Mm. I think yes and no. Yes. In the sense that I've accepted that, like there are certain, um, barriers that I have. Um, and the only reason why is because I've seen how long I've gone trying to move those barriers and they haven't moved. Mm. So I've had to learn to just accept them and just realize that this is the way that things are going to be. Mm. Um, because I tried diets and I tried exercise and I tried DMTs and I tried holistic therapy. I tried everything mm. and nothing moved this MS. So I then was like, okay, this is it. I have to do something. And this is where HSCT came into it. And if this is a no, then I'm going to have to just, I don't know, live with it. Mm. But you don't really, you don't really accept it until you've tried everything, until you're in that happy place. And until you're happy, there's no way that you can accept something you're not happy with. Yeah, I think it's really hard. And I I think acceptance, you know, I've spoken with people who have had MS for years and years who still Mm. are just like, nah, you know. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a hard disease to try and accept because it just came from nowhere. And I had a mentality for a long time that if this just came, can't it just go? But, you know, we know that that it doesn't doesn't happen like that. We all wish. We all wish. Yeah. But Mm. for a long time, I thought that that's how it was. You know, Mm. it was called relapse remitting. Why can't it just go into remittance? But it just Mm. didn't. Yeah. No, I'm the same. I've never had the remitting kind of relief, I suppose. (laughs) Um, What is one thing that you wish you'd known early on in your diagnosis? Oh, well, I wish someone would would have told me what this would have entailed. I wish mm. someone would have told me what journey could look like for me mm. um, because I think I would have, yeah, done things so much differently. Um, I wish I would have been in contact with some other people in the MS community. I wish I would have found platforms like yours, like the, the many social media accounts mm. because, again, I knew nothing until probably like 2020. Mm, and that's like imagine I've been living with this disease for so many years and I only found these um, groups in 2020 Mm. and that's quite terrible I didn't know anything and your MS nurses don't tell you these things you have to find this stuff yourself so I really wish that I had someone that could have told me these things yeah 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 I mean the support of someone else living with MS is completely invaluable absolutely people who live with MS who are sharing their stories on Instagram is is yeah. amazing now yeah and if you had if I had that before I probably would have done things differently I would have seen mm. what they're doing helping them and tried it or something because yeah. I'm that kind of person I just I would have wanted to do anything to see if it would have helped me and maybe yeah. it wouldn't have but I would have at least been able to speak to someone about it um Tell me the best thing, and I know we've talked about this, but I love to mm. ask because I do think that in amongst all of the shit, there is always something 
that has a bit of light in it. What is the yes. best thing to have happened to because of your MS? The 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 love and kind of compassion of strangers mm. is amazing. And it's really shown me that because of the situations I've been in because of MS, it's really shown me how amazing people can actually be. I've, you know, I've been on the floor in the in public off of a bus can't walk anymore and someone's just given me their arm and said I'm going to take you to work or you know I'm going to walk you home or anything and I just think you I don't really think of that like that and from those situations I know I would be that person for someone else because I don't know what anybody else is going through but I know if it was me I would want it so Mm. now I look at things like that yeah I think there's definitely a level of learned empathy is that yes it's about absolutely everyone else is going through as well like we can look Definitely. we can all look normal in inverted commas but we just don't know definitely I mm. think I've definitely learned that because I I would admit that in my younger days I would have been judgmental mm. to many people but now you just don't know mm. yeah absolutely um my last question I love to ask everyone is mm-hmm. tell me something you would tell people to make MS more understood I know everyone's heard it already before, but MS is so different for everybody. Mm. Um, Even when they have relapse remitting, relapse remitting does not mean the same thing for everybody because the symptoms are so different. Mm. Um, If your lesions are in your brain or if your lesions are in your spine or wherever they are, it really makes a difference. Um, And I would also, if someone's newly diagnosed, tell them, to actually research where your lesions actually are, where is that affecting you, and what can you do for that specific area? Because it's no good you do something that's going to help lesions in your spine when your lesions are in your brain, you know? So that's the one thing I would say to people know those things because it really will make the difference. It will make an impact in your life and you won't waste time. There's so much time that we don't have. Thank you, Sheena, so much for telling your story on the MS Understood podcast. It's been so interesting for me. Um, (laughs) And I'm actually hoping to do a little series on HSCT, talking with a few um, people at different stages. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, oh, and I'm really got grateful. already in here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so grateful um, to be able to share your story. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. It's been lovely.